is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. Uh, Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Pfizer has formally submitted its COVID vaccine to the FDA for emergency use for the children five and younger. Scientists have had a tough time perfecting the vaccine dosage for the little ones. Strong enough to elicit the immune response, but not too strong. We'll take a closer look. Here in California, we just had a battle of NorCal versus SoCal, but that wasn't football with the Rams and 49ers going at it in the NFC Championship. The Rams won that round, but when it comes to the battle of controlling COVID, the Bay Area is blowing away Los Angeles, and we will explain. Right now, the COVID shots into the small arms. Dr. Lisa Hong, pediatrician at Providence Mission Hospital in Mission Viejo. Dr. Hong, take us through the process of developing this for the young kids because they're going to go for two doses and then maybe three, but originally they had said that the two might not have been enough of a response. Correct, Mike. Um, the Pfizer had gone through a long, vigorous study, and it sounds like today they're ready to submit some of that data. And you're absolutely right. The dose that they're shooting for is actually three micrograms, which is less than even the dose for kids five and up and only a third of what we adults would get. So it's a much smaller dose. And what they found uh, last, or I guess two months ago, was that for a certain age group, for the two years to four years, it didn't seem to have the same uh, response that we saw with the older kids. But the, two, the six months to two years, it did have a significant response. Despite this, though, they will be submitting it for authorization with the anticipation that we may need a third dose just to boost those first two doses. Okay, so one would think that because of the pandemic, that parents would be, once a, a vaccine is available for, for babes, that they would be you know, lining up to get the shots. But I'm sure you've seen the same polls that I've seen, and that doesn't seem to be in the cards. Now, maybe that'll change, but right now an awful lot of parents are very skeptical about having their children, young children, vaccinated. So you're a pediatrician. What's your, and I hate to be this crude, but what's your sales pitch to them? We see a mixed bag. Like you said, we do have some some parents who are a little more hesitant and some who are very excited. It is a very promising vaccine. We've seen it. We've seen the effects of it in the older kids, in the teens, and in the adults. What's important to remember is that despite the vigorous response that we're expecting and did not get as much of in the two years to four years, it is a very safe vaccine. That under, uh, um, you know, what bottom line, it is safe. So we are seeing that, uh, especially in the older kids, it is helpful. So I would recommend it because not only will it prevent kids from getting sick, it also prevents uh, our kids from spreading it to the rest of the community as well. And it, it's a big, um, ripple effect because if our kids, especially kids that are younger in preschool, when they get sick, then they have to be home. They can get their teachers sick. Daycares can close down. Parents are missing work. And also it's uh, whether or not they have the vaccine will determine how their quarantine or isolation uh, will be affected as well. So while there is still some uh, hesitancy because we haven't seen all the data, I think that there's also a lot of excitement. And they shouldn't let the two versus three until they figure that out discourage them, right? Because even if it's not, you know, the outcome that everyone was super hoping for, which would be a really high level, the two probably at least gives you something, right? Some baseline. And then if you're going to need the third, well, then that's great. We'll get you the third later on once we've studied more of what happens with the third. 
Right. I think the idea is to at least get two on first and in the meantime, continue study with the third one. What's the side effect profile for, for young kids? The side effect profile seems to be really good. The main side effect, as with any vaccine, is some tenderness to the area, some fever, some soreness. But uh, what we've seen in the 5 to uh, 11, the side effects seem to be very minimal. And with the even lower dose, I expect the, the side effect profile to be even better. Dr. Lisa Hong, pediatrician, Providence Mission Hospital in Mission Viejo. L.A. has the edge over San Francisco when it comes to recent postseason sports matchups. But when it comes to this latest Omicron surge, an L.A. Times analysis finds the Bay Area has done a much better job than Southern California. The death rate's nearly three times lower up north. This is just the latest uh, coronavirus wave where compared to Southern California, up there, they're doing relatively better. So with us now is Dr. Robert Kim Farley, who's a professor of epidemiology and community health sciences at UCLA. So why is it the case that um, Northern California keeps besting the southern part of the state when it comes to managing COVID outbreaks? Hi, I'm Mike and Charles. Good to be back with you today. Well, no, it's not a fluke. It's really probably driven primarily by the issue of vaccination. As you point out, we have about 11 deaths per 100,000 in Southern California, where it's only, uh, if you will, four per 100,000 in the Bay Area, about a third difference. But if you look at it in terms of vaccination, the Bay Area is 82 to 84 percent vaccinated and 50 percent boosted, where we're sitting here at around 70 percent vaccinated and only a third boosted. So I think that's probably one of the big drivers of this. And it is both, right? It's the first set and then the discrepancy among the boosters and boosters, especially important when it comes to Omicron. Yes, you're exactly right. You know, uh, basically with the uh, just the two doses, for example, of Pfizer, you had about 81% protection for hospitalization, but that drops to about 57% after six months. But if you get boosted, it goes back up to 90% protection. So that's, again, a, a very good point that you're bringing up. Boostering is now really an essential part of vaccination. Okay, so let's say that uh, because there's a higher vaccination rate, which there is, as you just pointed out in the Bay Area, and that accounts for why the pandemic has not been as harsh up there as it has been down here. That still begs the question, why is that the case? Why have they been far more successful at getting the population vaccinated than we are here? Yeah, I think there are different demographics involved. I think that for one thing, uh, you know, they also have other things that go on. For example, the more white collar workers in the Bay Area that can uh, have the luxury, if you will, of being uh, able to work remotely, where that's not so common here in uh, Southern California. Many uh, agricultural workers, uh, people have to be on the front line, meat packing plants, things like this, uh, put them at higher risk. So I think that's one thing to realize is that demographic is a bit different in the two. So when people point to the Bay Area and they say, you know, masks are coming off in some of these settings, uh, we can't make that comparison or jump ahead to that point here in L.A. just yet. It's going to take us uh, a longer amount of time to, to get to that kind of a place. Exactly right. And I think that uh, that's the proper approach that they're taking in the Bay Area. And I'm sure we'll do the same here in Southern California, that as rates drop to where they become lower in transmission in the community, then masks can come off. So the more we do our part now of 
getting vaccinated, getting boosted, wearing masks while we have high transmission will get us faster to the point where we can then be at low transmission and be able to go back to more of a normal way of life. So why am I becoming envious of Northern California? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a lot to be said for the Golden Gate Bridge. (laughs) Yes, it's very nice. But their football team lost. Yeah, well, true. uh, That is uh, Robert Kim Farley, Professor Epidemiology, Community Health Sciences at UCLA. We end today's Coronavirus Daily with a way to keep a mask on your face while you're still eating care of South Korea. We've talked a lot on this podcast about the big hole in indoor masking rules in places like restaurants or stadiums. You know, as soon as people start eating and drinking, the masks come off and usually, you know, they don't go back on. But a South Korean company has developed a way to help people feel more comfortable dining indoors by covering just their nose while they are eating. So it's designed to fold up. You wear it regularly, acts like a traditional face mask, covers your nose and your mouth. But once you're ready to eat or drink, you fold it up to expose your mouth. Your nose stays covered. They're calling it the Cosk. It sells for about 8 bucks for a box of 10. No comments on how they actually look on people when they're just around the noses. Yeah, but then when you sneeze, out comes the chicken from your mouth. <laughs> Yes. We'll leave you on that appetizing note. Uh, This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. 